This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope you're well. You join me as generally most of the English leagues have concluded. The playoff finals, the FA Cup final, the Champions League final is still to come. But I must also say congratulations to Chelsea in the women's FA Cup final. Sam Kerr. She certainly is at home there at Wembley, isn't she? And also the WSL, the title there. It's going down to the wire, isn't it? A last day fight out between Chelsea and Manchester United on securing that WSL title. And that is kind of where this episode is directed, the women's game. And with the 2023 World Cup fast approaching... I'll be having a few episodes dedicated to the Lionesses and their trip down under. Now, I'll come to my guest very shortly, but firstly, I wanted to mention a couple of things. Now, the most recent episode was my guide to England's youth level tournaments this summer. Now, a couple of those have already begun, and with this being a Lionesses episode, I wanted to catch up with how our young Lionesses have been playing in the Under-17 European Championships over in Estonia. They began with a 2-1 victory over Poland, leading 2-0 at half-time, thanks to a brace from Arsenal's Michelle Agamene. Unfortunately, they then went down to 10 when Bristol City's Mary Ward was sent off for a challenge in the box. Now, fortunately, that penalty was saved by Leicester's Sophia Poor, but Poland got their goal in injury time. That's a great start for the girls. And next, they would go on to play Sweden. Again, another couple of goals for Michelle Agamini. Leicester's Ava Baker getting on the score sheet too. Uh, Sweden's goal came via a Katie Reid own goal. So winning 3-1 there. And with that victory, it meant that they were through to the semi-finals with a game to spare. And that spare game was against France, who also knew they were through to the semi-finals after they'd won both their games against Poland and Sweden, both by 3-0 scorelines. And that final group game against the French was a one-all draw with Mary Ward, Bristol City, opening the scoring before the French equalised in the second half. It meant that the group was complete. England went through with seven points behind France on goal difference. Now, they would play Group A winners Spain, who had won all their games. Uh, and in a bit of a surprise, Germany were eliminated after only winning one and losing two of their games. So the semi-final came around on Tuesday the 23rd. The Spanish, well, they took an early lead, which they took with them into half-time. England came out strong in the second half. Arsenal's Katie Reid with an equaliser five minutes in. That brought the game level, but two late Spanish goals saw them through to the final, winning 3-1. 
They would play France, who beat Switzerland in their semi-final, 10-2. Commiserations to the girls, but experiences like this can only make you stronger. I'm sure we'll hear more from some of those names in the very near future. And something that I'd not previously mentioned, yet I don't think it's gone entirely under the radar, but I think it's presence and awareness since its draw has been very similar to the men's back in January 2018. Uh, I'm talking the Nations League. Now talk of this for the women had been brewing for about a year now. And back on the 2nd of May, the draw was made for the inaugural tournament to begin in September of this year. Now for those that aren't aware, The Nations League is a tournament for European national teams. Uh, They're placed in small four-team leagues of equal standing. Now, these leagues are tiered. So there are four four four-team top-tier leagues. That's League A. Uh, That features Europe's best. And as European champions, that's where our Lionesses are. Then beneath that, there's League B four groups of four teams of mid-range level. Then below that is League C, a slightly bigger pool of nations. Uh, It features four groups of four teams and one group of three. Uh, So in total, throughout all three leagues, there are 51 eligible European nations. So just to quickly take you through it all, at the top, League, League A, this is divided into four teams of four. They'll each play each other home and away between September and December this year. The team that finishes top of each of the four leagues will go together to play a semi-final tournament and final in February of next year. The teams that finish bottom of each league will be relegated down to Leagues B and they'll be replaced by the winners of League B who go up. This is replicated the further you go down. So who will the Lionesses be playing, you may well ask? Well, they've been drawn in League A, Group 1, alongside the Netherlands, Belgium and Scotland. And by coincidence, they're all very local to each other, aren't they? Whilst the dates for each game have been set, the venues haven't as yet. Uh, I'm sure nearer the time I will cover those, but they should be some tasty games to take in uh, and a good opportunity to take the Lionesses around the country. Uh, And in doing the research for this, I've since found out that Wembley, as a venue, is able to host up to 22 sporting events across any one year and I think excluding the potential of these three games Wembley looks like it's already down for 20 sporting events uh, in 2023. Of course we've already had the likes of the Finalissima, the FA Cup semi-finals for the men, the women's FA Cup final, uh, the England men's internationals so far and to come we have various cup finals and playoffs Uh, And also there is one NFL game, there's the Rugby League Challenge Cup Final and there's also a wrestling event in August. 
So personally, I can't see all the Lionesses games being played there. I don't know, maybe Scotland? I don't know. Just so you can understand the level of the top leagues, um, League A, Group 2, features France, Austria, Norway and Portugal. Group 3, Germany, Denmark, Iceland and Wales. And Group 4, Sweden, Spain, Italy and Switzerland. So a few nations that we've recently played before, all up in the the top leagues. As I'm sure you remember, we've had some convincing victories over the likes of Lithuania and Latvia recently. Well, both of those teams have been placed in Leagues C. That's kind of give you a gauge of the, the levels of the nation's league. Right. Let's get on with this episode. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Abdullah Abdullah, author of the book, The Lionesses, The Game Changers. Abdullah, hello there. Hey, how's it going? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for thanks for having me on. No, you're you're more than welcome. Uh, I've I've received your book, uh, The Lionesses: Game Changers, um, available through Pitch Publishing. An amazing look at the Lionesses and their sort of rise to fame um, over uh, over the past few years. How did this interest in the Lionesses come about? Because this is your third book, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's number three, but um, I think I think the interest in the lionesses has kind of been a slow movement over the last couple of years. So obviously, I have kind of been into the tactical side of the game for probably uh, four years now. Um, I've been following football since I was probably a, an, a, an early teen, like everybody else. And um, but my interest in the women's team kind of grew in 2018, 2019. And then just because on the men's side, I'm a, I'm a Chelsea supporter. I inherently had to, I kind of grew into the women's team first uh, over there when, when, when I made the switch over to, to start writing about them. And and then from there, obviously, it's, there's a core uh, of English players that that kind of obviously then piqued my interest into, into the women's team. So um, for me, that became a very... Um, obvious uh place to look at and then after i did the first couple on on leon and on chelsea just to me the combination of the home tournament a world cup the following year and england you know seemingly looking a lot better with the, with the whole change well, all the changes that i thought you know what it made sense to uh to hit that audience and 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 that team and kind of see what that progression would look like yeah it's it's certainly been an interesting progression. The the book starts at, as you say, the sort of the time that you began taking a an active interest in um, the women's team. Sort of that that period of 2018-2019 when uh, Phil Neville was in charge of the Lionesses, um, and obviously there was the transition through to Serena Weigman, um, and there was a. Uh, what in the it's the foreword um in the book by charlotte stacy there's there's a little bit there that i picked out she said that the team prior to weigman 
was made up of all these gourmet ingredients, but it just simply was the recipe was all wrong, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it's, uh, I, I really like that analogy. Actually, it's it's just the team has always been one of those where they've had so many top level players, top class players coming through to the level where you would almost associate them with being, um, you know, playing potentially playing for the best teams in the world. But the problem always ended up being that um, Phil Neville and the staff at the time, even before his time, nobody could really get them playing in a cohesive way. It, it's kind of, you know, sometimes you see it on, on uh, in a lot of top sides where you have like maybe an excessive amount of top players maybe in certain positions or you have like, you know, three, four really good options, but it's like you're almost too spoiled for choice, you know, too yeah. much. And I think that causes a lot of issues. And, you know, I think, I think Phil Neville just could not get his um, tactical choices and kind of personnel choices in, in the right games to go. I mean, they did make a semifinal, but it's, it just, to me, it's just like getting that, it never felt like they could get that one step forward because it was just like a mismatch of, top level players but the chemistry wasn't there inherently at the by the end of the day yeah i mean i i kind of look back at phil neville's time as we all know it was a little bit hard um and perhaps his his communication with the the press wasn't as good obviously as as now it is with uh with serena in charge but maybe it was right at the time and and it finished at the right time for Serena to come in and take over the reins. Yeah. She came in at a time where I really feel like they were, it was almost the perfect time for her to come in. September 2021, you're a year and a half away from, or like a year away from a Euros. And then you've got two years to the World Cup. And so, you know, she had the time to really, look at the squad, mold it into what she wanted and and had enough time to really make those make that transition. And at the same time she she's come off winning an international tournament with with her home nation. And you know, you could see that there was and then I mean I, I mean let's not be let's not be let's not run around it. That Dutch side was was very good, but they were better teams. There are there were better teams at the time who could have competed. I mean, you look at teams like France, you look at teams like Norway, France, and uh even England at the time, you like objectively speaking, a lot of those players from a from an individual standpoint could even be better. But the way what she did with the Dutch team was kind of use them very well as a collective. Yeah. And make sure that they, you know they 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 play to their strengths and 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 manage to you know get the right players playing in the right positions and and kind of cater towards them and I and I feel like England maybe to an extent needed that in their own um, in their own setup rather than playing eleven you know world class players maybe you know start playing uh, eleven team players that could probably then kind of come together and allow a few of the star players to to thrive so I, th- I thought she came at the right time and. Um, though I, I don't think anybody anticipated the level of um, jump in performances and the levels that the team were playing at so quickly and, and that adaptation to be so smooth, uh, at least initially. So, yeah, I think I think it was a little bit of a surprise to everybody. Although being Dutch, uh, obviously, she she holds that sort of total football model quite dear to her heart, doesn't she? And she she brought that in with her. Um, to the the England side and and to the FA, sort of that dynamic and creative side, which is so 
Dutch, basically, um, yeah. and uh, and and the uh, the players under her just just took to it, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. I, I really I really felt like um, she was. I, th- I think one of her biggest strengths is just being able to convey her ideas to the team and and kind of explain how she how she did. I, I think being a communicator, being someone who's been so deeply rooted into a in, from a coming from a country that's so deeply rooted into a footballing philosophy and a footballing uh, mindset where they have this this philosophy this identity and the good thing about it is that they can kind of they mold it into what their understanding of of what they call total football is right so um with phil neville i feel like he was a bit more supposedly of a man manager than more of a tactical manager and but you know and obviously he's coached in the men's game and everything before but it never felt like he could convey his ideas or even execute his ideas as well where and i think the players maybe sort of it wasn't it wasn't resonating or sitting with them really well whereas with um with Serena, I felt like the best thing that she did, she come and she kind of explained to everybody, look, these are your roles. This is what I want the team to do. This is how I want us to play. And just being able to communicate that that information and, and, and turn around and say, this is how I want things to happen is, I think, probably the best thing um, she's been able to do. And I think probably that's, you know, one of the core reasons of her success so far. Yeah. The, the book looks quite a lot at, um, the tactics of what what she uses and am I right in saying that she came in initially um with a with a formation in mind um like prior to the the euros was a a four two three one formation I think is what what I got from it but she was happy to sort of transition through different formations um to a to a four three three um and everyone sort of were on board with that. They there was no real issues with her changing formations. Yeah, I think I think I think uh, part of it is is down to the fact that I think she, because she's proven herself in in it with her accolades and and kind of what she's what she's done in 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 the game already. I think the players were a little bit a lot more open to you know, taking in what she said and said, all right, you know what, she's proven it. She's a, she's a, she's a winner. She's, she's done it on the international stage, not just, not at a club stage. So she knows what she's talking about. And she did it with arguably uh quote unquote lesser players uh, in, in certain positions. So I think, I think the players were more open. And I think back to being able to communicate, I think she must've basically said, look, the formation in a sense and this, I think, this can go across the board in any any team and any most uh, elite managers. It's the formation itself doesn't really matter. It's it's more the principles of play, and it's more how they want to na- how they can navigate themselves from, um, you know, from that system and use those principles and 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 execute it that way. Because I think if you're going to be tactically flexible, you're going to need you're going to you're going to be able to tackle different teams because you have teams playing with three three center backs you're going to have teams playing with four you might have five attack attackers coming forward towards you four midfielders five midfielders so i think that kind of combination of um being able to be tactically flexible in terms of the system and formation i think is important and then being able to execute the the same ideas across the board i think is 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 important and then i think it also gives the team to be able to play their their massive squad of like you know, very, very high quality players and let them kind of be 
in positions of strength. And, you know, like we can take an example of someone like, um, like I say, Neve Charles or, or, or someone like that, who is, mm. who's obviously naturally an attacker, but she's been playing a lot of fullback positions for, Eng- uh, for, for Chelsea. Um, but then you put her in a wing back position, for example, for England, she probably thrived because it's less defensive responsibility. Or you play somebody like Laura Coombs, who plays at Manchester City. She's she's been excellent from a from a deeper or number ten position. You can probably play four two three one and play her over there, or an Ella Tune. And you can kind of keep switching these players around. And you're going to need the full squad of twenty five eventually because. You never know what's going to happen with injuries, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it will, will, you know, it'll come up. But um, look at it now; like, there's the England have suffered with three, four major injuries, and now that 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 squad depth is really coming into it. But the but the advantage is that you know Serena has played so many systems and and used so many players that the other players know exactly what they have to do when they slot in. So I think it just it just helps. Gotcha. Well, take us back to that amazing summer um, that. England picked up that European Championships at Wembley. I know you you came over um, to to watch some of the games. You're fortunate enough to get. Um, I think you were there for the. Was it from the knockouts onwards? Yeah, yeah, that must, pretty much must have been amazing. Oh, it was it was absolutely fantastic. I actually only planned to go for three games i had bought three tickets i had tickets for the one of the semi-finals uh the final and one of the uh knockout games and then kind of the day before i flew you had the opportunity to go and watch another one of the, the quarter watch one of the quarterfinals um and then i had the opportunity while i was there to watch the second semi-final as well so i ended up watching about five games so two quarters two semis and and uh and a final which was incredible it was it was amazing and uh, i practically got to watch england play from the quarters to the finals which was which was fantastic that quarter final um against spain being being one nil down um until late on in the game and it, was it Georgia Stanway that equalised, or did she get the winner? I'm struggling yeah. to remember now. Yeah, yeah, she got the winner uh, in the extra time. Yeah, that's right. Yes, um, down at Brighton, amazing yeah. game that one. Um, but then being behind in that game, and then moving and, and obviously winning it, and then moving on to the Sweden game, and again being under the cosh for whew, best part of the first fifteen twenty minutes. Um, really showed a different dimension to the Lionesses um, that they hadn't really needed in those previous group games against Austria, Norway and Northern Ireland. Um, and that's the sort of confidence that they'll need to to think back to, I think, going into this World Cup. Yeah, I know. You're absolutely right. And I think arguably the teams around them have become a lot better i think i think those teams that have been uh those teams have like they've just gone better and better and then i mean obviously they're gonna have to face if they are to progress to the to the final stages of the world cup they're gonna have to face the likes of the united states and and whatnot who are arguably you know top team in the world they've won you know two three world cups which i think for them is uh is a massive massive uh uh achievement um I mean, that game against Spain was probably my favorite of the tournament, especially, you know, the first one I watched that was such a such a high and, and, and their ability to come back, I think, was was great. And then you look at um, the game against Sweden, which, I mean, ended up being a, a huge 4-0 win. It was a rout. But, 
yeah, that first 15, 20 minutes, it felt to me when I, when I was watching it from, from the stands in, in Sheffield was like, all right, someone's, you know, they figured out how to stop, how to stop, um, you know, England from playing, you know, mm. at least in, in certain, in certain areas and build up and in possession and, and their ideas were being blocked. You know, they, they, they had a certain, uh, game plan to go against them. But what I think was the best thing about that game was the, was the small adjustments that England made in, in, in the first 20 minutes, being able to recognize, okay, this is not working. They've figured this part out. What can we do in the spur of the moment to, to change that tactically and try and get on the, on, on the front foot? And I think that was the, probably one of the problems that they had previously in, in the, in the previous regime, because it was th- those small changes and being able to recognize, um, how and what to change in, 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 in a certain amount of time without it being too late, I think was the biggest problem that they had. And then the fact that they were able to do that and then being able to um being able to really make that change very quickly, I thought was uh was absolutely was absolutely fantastic. And 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 obviously they ended up winning that game by a huge margin. So the ability to show in both games from both being a tight game against Spain and then a bit more of an open game and, and a bit more of a easier game by the end of the game against Sweden for them. We're looking at the scoreline. I think it shows the depth of range of being able to play against two top quality oppositions um, and, you know, and, and being able to beat um, both of them in those two different fashions, I think is, is just shows great progress and, and uh, depth. Yeah. And then obviously onto the, onto the final, um, throughout the the tournament, Serena famously used the the same starting eleven um, for for all those games, and and it was onto the Germany game where in the final, where again uh, the same starting eleven began. Um, but on the bench, we had the likes of um, Chloe Kelly, Alessia Russo, Ella Toon. Um Now, sort of looking forwards. We've haven't really got well. I'm sure we have, um, but sort of the depth of substitutes is is going to be slightly different. I think this time. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you you look at players like Chloe Kelly and and and, and Ella Tuna and Lesia Russo who are on the bench for practically the entirety of the tournament last year, and I think now they're arguably going to be players who are going to be starting um, for the first team, whether through injury or not, is is, is a different story, but. You know, you you have Chloe Kelly, who I think is now arguably going to practically start every game. Ella Toon's kind of cemented herself as the team's number ten, and then Alessia Russo has kind of taken up the mantle from from Ellen White. So, uh, in that in that scenario, I think it's um, it's very much um, it's very much you've got the substitutes moving into a into a first team role. But then, and then now it now really comes the test of finding the substitutes for those substitutes. So it's yeah. it's like. Do you, do you you know who do you go? You have to bring in the next set of players. So, like we said, like your Jess Carter's, your Neve Charles's, your Katie Robinsons, you know your Laura Coombs, who's probably a little bit older than the rest of them, but still is new to the England setup. Practically, it's these players now that have to come in and and start to um and and start to step up and and play the role that the other three played in in the last tournament. Because I think I think one of the things that Serena does is she almost has a set um. 18 players where she's like okay 25 is there it's important to have 25 but i have these 18 and then her substitutes to call on have been practically 
uh, at least three of them have been practically set in stone. And then the fourth and fifth becomes very much situational based on game state. So it's about finding those replacements and and making sure that those uh, those those substitutes have the same impact that 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 you know the, the Ella Tunes and like did last season because they made a huge difference. Ella Tunes scored um, a massive goal against Sweden. You had uh, uh, sorry, Alessia Russo scored a massive goal against Sweden with the back heel. You know, you had Ella Tune provide the assist for you know for the goal against Germany in the final. So when you have these players coming off the bench and making such a big impact, whether it's in a final or a semifinal or a group stage game, it, it, it becomes important. And I think that's kind of put more confidence in the substitutes bench because, I mean, anybody not starting a game, uh, whether you're on the substitute bench or, or not, it's especially at a major tournament, they're like, you know, will we really have, you know, an impact? Will we really be able to, to, to really do anything? Or are we, you know, we're not first choice, but I think, their roles last season has kind of proven to the rest of the players that doesn't matter whether I mean it doesn't I mean it doesn't really matter if we're starting or not because if we are the first choice substitutes we can come on and make a difference and and push ourselves to either start games or be the first choice to come on practically anytime there's a uh, there's a game to a change to be made in in any sort of game so yeah I think the substitutes role is got a huge importance in in this England setup more than I think we've seen before yeah. The book that you've written, um, it's it's such an unfortunate situation that it's it's come out at the time where England, the Lionesses, and some of the players have unfortunately suffered a a fair few injuries. Obviously, Beth Mead has been out for for some time, uh, although there is there is a little bit of talk that she may be getting back to fitness by the time the World Cup comes around. But I have to be honest, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Leah Williamson, obviously. Frank Kirby has ruled herself out. Millie Bright has been going through um, an, an injury period. Lucy Bronze has had um, some surgery as well. So I don't think she's going to be as, as maybe as fully fit as as maybe she could be. But we'll, we'll wait and see. How is this going to affect... The lionesses. How's it going to affect Serena Weidman, and and what's going to be her thinking at the moment and going forwards? As, I mean, it's huge. I mean, you you'd think that maybe with one or two. I mean, you'd rather have none, but with one or two major injuries, you can you can you still have the depth um, and and the core team to be able to to contend with that sort of uh, with that sort of uh, injury slip. But I mean, listen, any team with that sort of injury list and not just the like squad players with all due respect, the every single player that you've just talked about, there are starters for mm. this team and ones who would in an ideal situation, be your number one choice for, for their positions. I mean, you can look at someone like Frank Kirby on her day. De- I mean, practically she's one of the best, if not the best, uh, uh, number tens you 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 have, and then you know the same thing with Beth Mead was 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 you know top scorer in 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 the Euros. So you start her on the right hand side, and you know you can, the list goes on in terms of the injuries. But so it's really it's really going to test England's um, setup. But then this is where you have to see the next generation coming in. I mean, let's t- let's take Beth Mead for a second. Chloe Kelly has proven to be an excellent deputy. And then behind her, you have Lauren James now, who's really exploded for Chelsea. And uh, Jess Parks had a really good season for Everton. Obviously, she's and she's another one that's just been ruled out for the rest of the season for Everton. Oh. Um, but, you know, she's another one. You've got Katie Robinson, who's doing really good things, uh, you know, at, at the scene and, and probably could be the next up and coming. So 
you've got Chloe Kelly, Lauren James, and as I say Katie Robinson as your, you know, your your replacements for Beth Mead, which is really good depth. And then uh, you know, up front you've got um, you know, you've you've got the likes of Rachel Daly now who's really come into her stride, you know, to one of the top scorers in the WSL right now, Lauren Hemp's there, Lesser Russo. So and then at the number 10, there is no Frank Kirby, but Ella Tuna stepped up. So you've you've got someone there. Jordan Nobbs is having a very good season for Aston Villa. Um, Georgia Stanway's been around and she's she's doing well for uh, for Bayern Munich. And then, you know, at the back, yes, that's a big hit because no Lucy Braun, uh, sorry, no Leah Williamson. And she's practically out, but then Maya Letizia has stepped up for Manchester United in a centre back yeah. role. Uh, I think I think she's another big one. And then you've got lots of women. Moy, who's been in and around and is having an okay season uh, for Arsenal. Uh, Esme Morgan stepped up, you know, in in terms of being able to find somebody who can play at right back. Chess Carter's had a fantastic season. Neve Charles is is is, is proven herself. So I think England are, are again both lucky and. Uh, I think it's really good planning from from Serena that yes, she's had some major injuries in in all three you know phases of the of the team, but the the backups are of requisite quality to some extent, and I and I really feel like with maybe a little bit of juggling around, there is uh, an opportunity to be able to um, to to get this team to playing in a similar vein than they were than they were last season, and maybe this is the time for for her to say. You know, this is the, this is this is an opportunity for the next generation of England players in your my Letitiaes, in your new Charleses, in your <clears throat> Ella Tunes to to step up and say, all right, we're as good as you know our predecessors, and and we can go ahead and and win a major tournament, even if they're not there. And if and if England managed to do that, then you really can't say anything other than this is probably the best setup in 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 football right now with you can have three four five major injuries to world-class players and the replacements have come up and 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 kind of stepped in and, and done what uh they were meant to do no no pressure no pressure whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> the the one conundrum, and, and you briefly mentioned her there, the one conundrum that I can see um Serena having Rachel Daly, as you say, she's been on fire for Villa in the uh, in the WSL. Played left back throughout the Euros, um, but smashing the goals in left, right, and centre. Where does she fit in to this World Cup team? Oh, it's uh, the age old question of <laughs> how do you play Rachel Daly? <laughs> I think I mean there is a Twitter movement uh, of her basically being told she is not a fullback and. You know, for the longest time, everybody was like, she's not a fullback. Why is she playing a fullback? Why is she playing a fullback? Um, and then now I think just finally, I, I think, I think while well, she was at the Houston Dash, uh, before in the US and NWSL and she was scoring goals there. She was their one of their best goal scorers. Yes. But I think it's just that because it was so far away and it was the US, it was just wasn't at the forefront of everybody's minds. And I think. Manager was like, "All right, yeah, 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 no, but we have Ellen White, and then we've got these players and Jody Taylor and whatnot, and okay, you know, we want to fit Rachel Daly in, and we have a problem at fullback. We'll play her there, and I think versatility is good. But when you have a player so clearly fantastic and and class in a certain position, that's her natural one. You, you've got to take advantage. And I think now that um, Ellen White has retired, you've now got this position where you need." 
you need two strikers. And before it was probably Ellen White and Alessia Russo. And I think now, I think Alessia Russo will eventually be England's number one. I think there's no doubt about it. But I think right now she's she's still a little bit raw. She's still she's still really now hitting. You're gonna still has to hit her stride. And I think when you go into the World Cup now, you've got no choice but to play uh, Rachel Daly as your number one striker because. She's one of the top scorers, if not the top scorer in the WSL right now. She's been doing it for a team that's 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 battling for fourth, fifth place. That that usually wouldn't be the case. Um, Alessia Russo has had a good season, but maybe not a fantastic season to to match Rachel Daly in comparison. So, I would say, and 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 then leading the line for England is no easy task. It is a lot of pressure, and 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 obviously there's a system related thing, but. I just feel like this is the time for Rachel Daly to take the reins as a striker. And, and I think you are arguably going to get a lot more output from, from the position now than you ever did in the last couple of major tournaments, just because she's a out and out pure goal scorer who knows how to combine and mesh well with the, with the team with, and, and, and her play style. So yeah, I think, um, Rachel Daly as a striker is probably, this is the time to, to unleash her there and, 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 and move on and see how that works. Well, we, we shall see. Come the World Cup, initially Haiti, China and Denmark um, stand in the way. How can England do in this World Cup? Oh, it's, uh, it's a tough question. It's, it's, it's tough because you look at it and you go, you, they should be able to navigate through the group stages without a problem. And it go, when, it, when you get into the knockout rounds, you, you, you worry because Germany are getting better and better. Um, they, they've got some world-class players to come back for themselves. Mm-hmm. France seem like they're finally buckling up their ideas, and 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 that then that generation of class talent, uh, I think, is is ready to step up. And I feel like a team like France is in the position that England were last season, where can they go ahead and and, and do something big? Um, you got them. You got the U.S. national team. That's that's always a, a huge threat, and they look very very good. Um, and You've, you know, you've got the other. Your Sweden's never go away. Canada's been a pretty decent team. Mm. So there are a lot of teams that they have to navigate that they probably didn't have to do. Um, you didn't have to do in the Euros. You have to face in the Euros. I think that this team can can being the defending champions and the requisite quality that they have. I think a semi final is got to be a bare minimum, and I, and I really think that they can do it. I think they can really make a semi final, and um, they have the ability to beat. All of the teams that we just mentioned, there. I, I don't see a case where you look at that team and go, Oof, you know, you're going to be outclassed by this team by a huge margin. You know, um, I really feel like this team can beat anybody on their day. It's just, um, it's just a matter of kind of navigating through that and and setting up for the right the right game plan for the for the right game. Gotcha. The book Lionesses Game Changers uh, is available through Pitch Publishing. Um, and I'm, I'm sure through um, any good bookstore. Um, Abdullah, thank you very much um, for your time in, in telling us a little bit more about the Lionesses. Are you heading out to the World Cup? Uh, I'd love to, but I think this trip's a little bit too far. But now I'll be, I'll be enjoying it from the uh, the comfort of my own home. But uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the World Cup, and I think we should have a fantastic for- tournament. And thanks for thanks for calling me and having me on. My many thanks go to Abdullah there for his time. His book, Lionesses, 
Game Changers. It is available through Pitch Publishing, whom I must also thank. You can follow Abdullah over on Twitter at KunAbd, K-U-N-A-B-D. And of course, at Pitch Publishing. They are the leading UK-based independent sports publishers. They've got some good books in their catalogue. Now, I'll be back with you very soon. As you may have seen, Serena Weigman will announce her World Cup squad on the 31st of May. So no doubt I'll be taking a look at that soon. So until then, take care of yourselves. Cheers. <laughs>